What more do I need to say? The man is back again. Now, what I will say is, this podcast was done actually a while ago and I just got fairly busy with master's work and consulting and life and stuff. But uh, this is a fantastic episode with Pat. Just one thing I did notice when I was editing the podcast, there actually was a few times where Pat went in and out um, and just it was a little bit hard to make out what he was saying but i did ask him to uh repeat himself anytime i felt he wasn't coming through clear enough so basically everything came true but there is some parts earlier on in the episode where he's just kind of a bit wonky he's going a bit in and out it's technology people it's a first world problem so if that's the biggest problem we got going on in our lives our lives are pretty sweet but anyway enough for me on this episode we catch up with each other we talk about polyvagal theory and cutting body weight. We talk about jaw development and its evolution. We discuss Pat's future body composition goals. We discuss about doing things out of spite. I love talking about this with Pat. We speak about subconscious judgment. I ask Pat what he is currently working on. And here we speak about rethinking the big patterns too. I asked Pat what was he currently reading at the time we recorded this podcast. And at the end, we briefly speak about neurotyping and the discussion Pat had with Mike Isertel and Christian Thibodeau about this topic. Guys, as always, whenever Pat's on the show, it's an absolutely outstanding conversation and I know you'll enjoy it. All right, Pat, we're recording, my man. How are you? I'm doing well, Robbie. It's a pleasure to be with you here today. I know it's going to be good. It's all, do you know what? Uh, I was just thinking to myself there yesterday and the, and the day before, I was like, fuck yeah, I get to talk to Pat on Saturday. And uh, I, I was actually, I should have messaged you because uh, every time we have like a, one of our conversations booked in, it's a little bit like Christmas Eve to me. Wow. You know, uh, I've never heard a woman say that about me. So I'll take this. <laughs> right. What, what I absolutely love to is literally we just hopped online and you were just like, you were like, you got to go to brunch with your wife about an hour. And I just told you that the weather's gorgeous here in Dublin. So like an hour suits me perfect. And you're, you're just like, let's just fucking get our catch up like done on the podcast because people love listening to that. And I fully concur. So yeah, uh, yeah what's it? We actually haven't spoke since just before Christmas. It was the weekend the Pats played the Steelers and lost. But we all know how the, oh, season, man. We all yeah. know how the season ended anyway with the masterful defensive display in the Super Bowl. And Edelman, genius. I, I, yeah. I I meant to say, did you remember Edelman in the, in the in the second last match? Match that's such a fucking Irish. But in the second last game, when when the, when the, the ball and he went to he went to go out. Oh, the ball. thumb! Yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't touch it. I didn't touch it. So good. He did not touch it. No, he didn't. He didn't touch it. He Very didn't. clear video evidence, and all of those Chiefs people, they can suck it. Yeah, true enough. Listen, you can't deny it. Patriots are just fucking they're savage, they're unreal. Like, but have you been since uh, since just before Christmas? You know, doing my thing, enjoying life, staying busy. Uh, you know, as as per usual, I feel like I've got a bunch of things going on, and uh, I don't I don't really know any other way. Uh, but yeah, I've had I've had some really cool experiences. I think uh, the best one that I can think think back on is is pretty recent with the uh, the seminar that we did at, at Hype Gym with yeah. uh, with Mike Isretel and and Gabby Fandaro, and uh, really kind of my first exposure into Isretel's world. And he is a, a, a really a genius and a madman in the best possible way. He's hilarious, and, uh, isn't he? He is. He's really like one of the funniest human beings I've ever met in my entire life. 
and and also like one of the most stone cold logical sequential linear brilliant thinkers i've i've ever heard um you know lay out information i mean i i was i was blown away by that guy he has a he has a like he's a great bland because like his his family's russian so he probably gets that like linear you know uh sequential thought process from that end but yeah he has this like really like just amazing western culture humor as well about it so he has he he delivers like his information just so well like one of my one of my favorite stories of him he's talking about like dieting and the way people like just like they don't have the discipline to stay on a diet like i just can't control my impulses and like he's like control impulses he's like you just fucking do it like like i'm a professor at a college and i get students come up all the time saying oh sorry i couldn't make the deadline and it's just like boom i just want to fucking kick them in the face but i don't because i control the impulse (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah that sounds exactly like uh you know what he would say like i think my favorite like the like there were so many offshoots with him just saying absolutely outrageous things where you're like how did your brain just formulate this thought but um you know it's 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 in new york and like you know we're presenting right by the front windows and it's union square so there's busy shit going on out there and like we're right next door to a mcdonald's and there's these homeless guys that work at the McDonald's. They don't work at the McDonald's, but essentially they stand out in front of it all day, every day. And they just open the door for anyone going in or out. And that's how they kind of like make their money. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they say, have a great day or whatever. And, um, but occasionally there'll be like a scuffle or just something going on out there. And uh, so all of a sudden there was like some yelling out front while he was presenting. And he kind of like stops and he's looking out the window. And uh, we were just saying, like, oh, man, yeah, like, you never know what's going to happen out there. There was a fight earlier this week between one of those homeless guys. And, and we have the, the ASPCA volunteers. They're like the animal uh, rights people. Yeah. Like, there's always people in New York that are standing around with, like, bright colored vests on and clipboards. And they just try to stop you to get you to sign up for whatever thing it is that they're trying to promote. And... Um, so it's just like, you know, it's ridiculous that you think of like these volunteers getting into a fist fight with homeless people right on the street. And like, of course, like a bunch of us are just watching it from the window right above. So it was like, it was almost like pay-per-view, but he was, he was like, oh, wow, that's incredible. That's like such a New York City matchup, homeless guy versus ASPCA volunteer. He's like, I, I want to make a video game that's kind of like Mortal Kombat, but instead it's like characters from New York. Uh, battling each other and it just led to like this incredible like thought process of, of just thinking about like specific individuals associated with New York fighting each other like bodega guy versus like a shawarma cart employee and uh, you know just like you know MTA train conductor versus bus driver there's really no limit to the to what it would be but, um, you know, that was kind of like you're, we're going from like, you know, the best science from hypertrophy immediately to like characters of New York Mortal Kombat. Um, and, and it's like hard to ex- explain how amazing that is, uh, you know, but that I think that's really necessary for a good seminar. Like you have to have someone that that has incredible information, but also keeps you on your, on your toes from like, where is this guy's brain going to go next? So, um, you know, again, it's always like the. It's like the honeymoon phase. The first time you get exposed to someone's information, you're like, wow, this is the best thing ever. I can't wait to dive into this more. But, uh, you know, that's kind of how I felt from that one. So that's, that's the one big one that sort of sticks out to me in terms of like learning experiences that I've recently had. Uh, Kabir, did you tell him the Borg story? 
I have not. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I have to like warm people up. They have to get to know me first, I think, before. <laughs> that story that is phenomenal. And just for any listeners who don't know what I'm talking about, heart, tough, tough shit. You need to, you need to get to know Pat to, to, <laughs> well, to, to get the inside joke there. Oh man, that story is so good. Um, how did the one at Pure Performance go? The one with, um, the one with Zach. Oh. Uh, yeah, we had Zach and Seth, Seth Oberst, and you know, it just—I really think that it like sometimes things work because people are really similar to each other, and and other times things work uh, from the perspective of like people coming from very different perspectives or working with very different populations, and I think that the latter of the two was really displayed well with that one because you know Seth is going to work with the most fragile people mm. who. You know, they are in chronic pain and it's probably beyond some kind of a mechanical diagnosis perspective in terms of what is causing this person to, you know, be experiencing fibromyalgia or TMJ or, or whatever it is that's kind of like, you know, this person's seen everybody, we're not really sure. And, and Seth is so, so good in terms of like the somatic, uh, s- somatic base of psychological uh disorders you know what i mean like i i think with with psychology there's always kind of like a top-down approach and a bottom-up approach and and like cognitive therapy from a psychology perspective would be your top-down somatic therapy would be your your bottom up and and he's really masterful in terms of having studied the the great thinkers and literature from somatic uh therapy modalities and and just to see it was really cool to be able to see each practitioner work with some vol- like with some you know people from the audience that were brought up, and um, and, and the man is truly a master, and and you know both guys were just outstanding presenters, and um, yeah, I, I think that like it, w- it was able to segue really well from Seth to Zach to me in terms of like um, you know moving from from fragile to to making someone resilient to making to to getting someone to be anti fragile. Um, from the perspective of like, hey, when you're with me, things don't have to be perfect and you don't have to be cognizant of, of every motion of your body. We're going to mash by the time you get to me. And, and if anything, I'm going to make this a volatile session. But if you can handle this volatility and you can handle imperfection and you can handle high level stress, it will make you, you know, better. Like super compensation is ultimately the name of the game uh, when you get up to, to that level. But I still have to be cognizant of, of understanding the proper sequence. And that, you know, when I first get someone, the process of, of for me, getting someone from low-level stress resistance to someone that's essentially bulletproof, I need to have a very sequent stepwise process that follows principles and rules that guides me towards that end game. And if I try to skip steps, it's very likely that I'll, I'll be administering too much stress and it will not be uh, something that will lead to super compensation, but instead something that will probably send the person in the wrong direction. And it was just really interesting the way that all of us, we follow kind of a graded exposure-based concept, which is sort of the hallmark of, of everything that ties rehab and fitness together. Um, but, but just the, the personalities that make sense for, for Seth, you know what I mean? Like his personality is very different than mine or Zach's. And he makes really good sense to work with the population he does. And Zach makes really good sense to work with the population he does. And, and I make sense for the people that I work with. 
And, um, and it's like, I feel like that in many ways, like we all have an idea or a, an ability to kind of do what the other practitioner can do. Uh, but it's like you make sense in the region that you occupy. It's a continuum, but there's certain, you know, it's like speed, strength, strength, speed, that sort of a deal. It's all a little bit of the same thing that follows similar principles. But as you move to a different region, there's a distinct different tone and feel. It's, it's, it's almost like when you think of like generational differences and like, you know, uh, you can recognize like, oh, this is music from the 90s. It doesn't sound exactly like music from today. Uh, and it's like, it's hard to define that exactly, but there's a different feel or a different experience or vibe that you distinctly can understand once you're, once you're in it. So I, I, I really, um, we had a great turnout, like, uh, like the people at, at Pure Performance, uh, Adam Vogel, uh, who owns that place, really has a, a top tier staff uh, of, of really great therapists and, and uh, strength and conditioning coaches. And, uh, you know, he's got, he's got people like Michelle Bolden there who um, really are just outstanding professionals. And the way that they hosted was, was really top notch. And they, they, they did everything that you could ask for from a host in terms of making it just run seamlessly. So, um, yeah, it was, it was an awesome experience. Yeah, I got to, uh, I got to meet Michelle and uh, Mike um at, yep. uh, at the intensive last year at intensive too so uh yeah they're, they're fucking they're top class not only the top class coaches they're top class humans too you were in um yeah. Co- costa rica recently too were you i was yeah uh we had you know ben had a two-week stint like week one was kind of like nutrition and functional medicine and week two was strength and conditioning uh so i was one of the presenters down there um and he also had uh zach couples lucy hendricks um, Ryan McCure, uh, as, as well as, as, um, Seth Oberst. Uh, so we had a bit of kind of like the, um, performance anti-fragility, uh, lineup. And then we, we also had Lucy added to it, uh, and, and Ryan McCure, who was talking about a lot of information that, that related to, uh, weight cutting and, and like mm. what's actually happening um, from kind of like a blood chemistry perspective with dieting and, and strength and performance levels and what happens on the, like kind of the back end of that as well. Uh, you know, he actually referenced some really interesting literature that was talking about like, like regaining weight after, after a pretty significant cut. And, and what it sort of showed is that, um, you know, at, at a certain point, like in, in regaining weight, you're going to begin to see that person reacquire more muscle mass. Like they dieted, they lost fat, they lost muscle mass. That's going to kind of go along for the ride with it when you're, when you're doing it to a fairly extreme degree. And, and you're going to regain weight after the fact. What was really interesting is that the body tends to overshoot the acquisition of fat. It'll, it'll gain fat back first, and then you'll gain muscle back after that. And it seems like fat needs to get to a threshold level before you switch over to really regaining muscle to a significant degree. But you will overshoot compared to the previous baseline of the fat level before you start putting muscle back on again. Um, so that was fascinating and, and kind of speaks to, like, uh, in some ways, kind of the yo-yo dieting approach and where people tend to just kind of, like, continue to get fatter when they do that. 
Um, and also just kind of like, you know, Ryan is a, a natural bodybuilder. He's been doing, he was uh, a, a teenager, 14, 15 years old. He's got a super interesting life story. Um, but he, you know, his ultimate like recommendation to people is kind of like, if you don't have to diet to have visible abs, don't, it's just not worth it. Um, you know, as much as you want to look a certain way, once you look that way, you'll probably never be satisfied. Um, you know, other people won't care as much as you think they will. And, and every time you get down there, like you're going to be in a bad place psychologically. Like, like following almost like the polyvagal theory of like you're gonna end up in that kind of reptilian parasympathetic state where you're a little bit crazy. You're gonna uh, isolate yourself from other people. You're gonna be obsessing about food all day, every day. Um, you know, he had a picture of of this like corner that he would eat in every day at work to try to isolate himself, and he he's like he had a picture of himself in these giant headphones like almost like facing the corner in this little hallway at the back end of the building saying like, all he wanted to do is be left alone with himself and his food. And like, you know, he'd get really pissed off when people would try to come over and talk to him during those times. Um, and it's like, man, you can literally witness yourself exhibiting all of these behavioral components that are associated with that, that end stage polyvagal um, concept. And it's not a good place to be like you're, you're not a social animal. You're not a happy animal. Um, you know, just in looking at some of his blood blood values, like, you know, one of the big ones is thyroid hormone. And um, it was super interesting. Like, you could just see, like, as calories dropped, thyroid hormone would just drop off the, off the cliff. And what was also very interesting was as soon as he, like, you know, his thyroid hormone was, like, as bad as you could possibly get by the end of his, his last cut before a bodybuilding show. And then he, he, you know, he had this giant meal after, and within a week, it was like, you know, it spiked this unbelievable degree. It had increased by like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of percentage points. Um, and, and it's kind of, you know, you always hear about this stuff with, uh, with thyroid hormone and what really drives it. It's like, well, it's, it's a calorie-based thing. So, you know, when you see all these like female figure competitors and bikini competitors that are, that are having these thyroid problems, it's just a symptom of, of long-term calorie restriction, and, and uh, it's just an energy-driven hormone. Uh, so it's just like a lot of really cool information that, that I hadn't really focused on. It's been nice to just get exposed to, to information that people are, are experts in that I haven't focused on, uh, just to make myself a little bit more well-rounded. I think we all need that. Who, who is this, Ryan? What was the surname, did you say? LeCure. Liqueur. I actually, yeah, I haven't looked into his stuff uh, too much here. Just to let you know, you're a bit wonky. You're kind of coming in and out there, but uh, you're okay, oh, okay. there. I, I don't know, okay. why, but it should, it should stabilize. But uh, uh, for, for the most part, I got that. The only bit you kind of went out on there was the polyvagal part. Um, so just um, explain that bit there, because I, even actually, I wanted to say it again just for my sake. So what's this end-stage polyvagal that you're talking about? I, I kind of yeah. get what I mean, but... Sure. So, I mean, like polyvagal is this like evolutionary timeline of the autonomic nervous system. Oh, I, I, I know we, we spoke about it before. And when you get too parasympathetic, your like systems are shutting down. Like, is that what you're saying happens when you're in a chronic? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, there's a concept called Jacksonian dissolution yeah, that spoke, spoke essentially, that. yeah, it essentially says that, uh, you know, the development of our species 
involves examining it from an evolutionary timeline. Yeah. And some systems are newer than others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and typically, and, and the polyvagal theory is, is kind of rooted in this discussion of specifically examining the evolutionary timeline from an autonomic nervous system standpoint. And it's saying that there's three divisions of the autonomic nervous system. The first one to develop the oldest one is the reptilian parasympathetic center. Mm. And that makes a lot of sense for reptiles because it's, um, you know, if they're being attacked by an animal, they can feign death and they can freeze and they can just shut heart rate way down and they can, they can, they can survive that. It's a, it's a feigning, death feigning and freezing is a, a really advantageous maneuver for reptiles. Uh, what came later in the development of, of animals and mammals was a sympathetic center. And, and that's great for, for activation and mobilization of resources. And, you know, I guess fight or flight, if you want to put it that way. Uh, and, and the latest to develop was the, the mammalian uh, parasympathetic center. Mm-hmm. And that one's very well developed in humans. And it's, it's really outstanding for, for socializing kind of like tribal or community-based mammals um, because it allows you to be in the presence of the other animals of your species in a relaxed setting uh, that can allow for cooperation and, and communication and culture development. And what's interesting is that, you know, all of these, these, this timeline of development of newer systems, as stress rises in the experience of the animal on the planet, you will, you will, from a timeline perspective, shut down the systems in, in kind of like, uh, you know, the newest one will shut down first. Yeah, I'll go yeah. from, from social, uh, parasympathetic, mammalian, uh, stress rises, that shuts down. I'll go backwards in time and I'll utilize the sympathetic nervous system. And if stress is persistent and, and unrelenting, I'll go further backwards in time eventually and i'll go into this behavioral shutdown mode of this reptilian parasympathetic center and it's very dangerous particularly for babies or or the elderly um and because it can it can reduce heart rate to an extremely low degree Mm. you get bradycardia it's associated with depression it's it's associated with social isolation it's kind of like an animal itself to die uh and and like dragging itself away from the tribe so that it's not a burden. And, um, you know, essentially the, the long-term stress of dieting uh, to that degree, it can, can it, you start to see the signs and symptoms. And, and Ryan was sort it of can saying... Mani- it can manifest itself in that state, and that's what Ryan was going through. Yeah, and it's like you can know that that's what's happening, and you can't stop it. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, blue and yellow, you're watching those things mix together, and it's like, I know what the chemical outcome is going to lead to, and I can, you can be cognitively aware of it. You can't stop it from, from the outcome. It's like a chemistry experiment. Um, so it was, it was fascinating from, from that perspective yeah, to yeah. just you know, have images that de- demonstrated like this, this progressive decline in some ways. And it's, it's, so it's kind of like be careful what you wish for. You want abs. You want to look really lean. Well, you know, it, it, it might not be worth it. Yeah, fucking, you, you do see that. I think a lot of what happens, Pat, is people, you know, they start to build up a, a self-identity with their physique and then uh-huh. they don't want to let it go, even at the detriment of their own health. Like, so like if they self-identify with someone who's lean and also has abs, you know, then like 
they get into this sort of fear mindset of, you know, if I put on weight and if I, you know, people start saying, oh, you're, you're putting on a bit of weight there. Yeah, are you, are you bulking again? Or the abs gone? You know, if you make those passive jokes then. And yeah. then they also, then, and then they just rather stay in the certainty of feeling shit, but still, you know, having abs and looking lean. So it's a kind of a, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy and it's a perpetual cycle at the same time. But yeah, we know we spoke about uh, Jacksonian, um, this uh, Jacksonian, what's the second, what was the second, Jacksonian? Dissolution. It is dissolution. Yeah, I was just making sure that was the second word. Yeah, we spoke yeah. about Jacksonian dissolution, and we spoke about polyvagal theory before. But I just wanted you to touch on what the link was between cutting and polyvagal. But I understand it's going back to that, like the the most the earliest part of the polyvagal evolution. So that's that's uh, super interesting. So it is. Yeah, it's it really is incredible. You know, um, and I just you just see this happen with with every every system seems to follow that. Mm-hmm. And and I would say it manifests itself even outside of of uh, of biology. You know, I think that you know I always give this alarm clock story of uh, you know I can remember being a kid in the '80s and I grew up with my grandparents who were born in the you know the, the 1910s. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and the first alarm clock that I had was one of those ones that you wound up by hand. And, you know, it literally had the little hammer that went back and forth between the two metal bells. And um, it always worked. It didn't do many things. It was very simple, but it was incredibly stress resistant. If the power went out, it still woke you up on time. Uh, And then, like, you go ahead in time from an evolutionary perspective of alarm clocks, and you get to a digital one that can play the radio. And um, that's kind of cool. It has more options. You know, it's got more contingency plans. It's got all this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, I can wake up and I can have the buzzing alarm clock noise or I can put it on a radio setting that I like. Um, you know, I can, you know, it's, I can specifically make it wake me up at 633 rather than some close approximation that I would get to with the wind up one. Um, but the problem is if, if the power goes out or if somebody trips over the cord and it gets unplugged, that thing ain't waking me up in the morning. Uh, also, if I somehow put the, if the dial gets moved and it's in between radio stations, it might not make any noise. So there's more ways where stress could shut that thing down. Uh, and then if we move even f- further in time, <clears throat> you get to the point where it's like, you know, I've got these ones that can play CDs. And now I've got many options. It can make it buzz. I can put it on a radio station or I can have it play the CD. But the thing's really complicated. You know what I mean? Like, I can't even figure out how to make it not just blink 12 o'clock at me the whole time. Like, I need a degree from NASA uh, in order to figure out how to program this thing to, to wake me up at the right time. And it's like the CD could skip when it tries to start. It could have the same problem with the radio station being in between and they're just playing fuzz. Uh, or it could get unplugged or some other problem could take place with this thing. So, you know, if I look at the oldest thing, it's more simple. It's got less, less options, uh, but it's way more fatigue or it's way more resistant to stress. And the newer ones, while they have a ton of options and they're super complicated and really cool, they can, they can really break down on you. Um, so it's, it's, it's an interesting process that you see happen with that. Can you get degrees at NASA? Yeah, I think I, I, I was hoping that no one would notice that if I said it. <laughs> oh, yeah. sure, listen, you hear loads of people say fucking, that fucking saying. Come here, though, just before I, I hop on to uh, 
the one of the top was well, actually there's a few topics for now here. I wanted to actually talk about how you got on with that neurotransmitter talk with Thibodeau and Israel. But before we go there, just before we get off Ali Vagel, um, because you read into this more than me, can people be wired like to be? Can can it be wired like? genetically if you want to say or epigenetically like say whatever it is true their feet environment to be at a particular area on the spectrum of that polyvagal theory because you know you get some people and they just they seem more parasitic they've lower heart rates they're just like they're they're just more chilled out or whatever else whereas you can get people who are obviously more sympathetic type a or go 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 kind of people is, is like if you read anything into that like is it can people sort of be biased if you will in their sort of DNA towards a certain spectrum on that polyvagal theory, be it from like some epigenetic signal they might have got in their embryonic environment or whatever. Yeah, I would say that that's kind of like um, you know what Porges is getting at in the book. Yeah, and um, you know I think that he he references uh, certain conditions. It's interesting he uses the word spectrum because I think that autism gets a lot of examination. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> with with that, and it's sort of like uh, a lot of a lot of literature seems to be pointing to the fact that that autism is is heavily linked to like auditory processing capabilities Mm. and and uh what's interesting is like um so if you look at the evolutionary timeline of of kind of going from fish to to uh to lizards to mammals it's it's kind of like we see the jaw change and when the jaw changes we see changes in the temple bone and the ear is linked to the ear is part of the temple bone, yeah. it's an offshoot of the temple bone. Yeah. And with uh, you know, there's this break in the timeline where we see the dissociation of the mandible with the temple and and this kind of creation of 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 like a it's essentially where it goes is that there there needs to be more musculature on the inner ear to be able to keep the system together. And, and when we really look at it from the perspective of, of like humans, like there's, there's certain postures and, and muscular presentations associated with certain spectrum conditions. Like you tend to see more like less postural development, like uh, less muscle tone with most kids that are on the spectrum. <clears throat> and you also tend to see that the, the muscle, the tensor tympani, which is um, a muscle on the inner ear that, that allows for the, you know, kind of like if, if you're in a, a crowded place that's noisy and you're trying to hear one person in particular, you can zoom your hearing in on that person. It's like you can focus your hearing. Uh, and the, the tensor tympani's uh, ability to create tension on these, on these tiny bones, the, you know, the, the hammer, the anvil, like the stapes, all those those three little inner ear bones they get pulled and their position relative to each other is altered and that allows you to zoom your hearing in and out and focus your hearing on certain things and that muscle in particular with with autistic kids seems to it's it's like a it's just not well developed it's it's just kind of flaccid and <clears throat> so when you administer uh techniques that that lead to better development of temper of tempor tympani, you'll tend to spontaneously see global changes in musculature and posture and carriage in those kinds of kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's sort of like, I don't know exactly what would lead to uh, one child having better muscular control over tensor tympani versus another. 
but in some ways it is focus. Uh, you know, like the, a lot of the drills that you'll use with these kids is like, they have to pay careful attention and try to differentiate between similar sounds. Like the, the sound of like fa versus ba versus va. And, and it's kind of like, they're just, uh, it's all sort of mashed into one sound for some kids because they lack the ability for tensor timpani to change tone. Um, so it's, it's, and again, that's sort of like, uh, that's a critical thing because you had like these, these fish that sort of had all of those bones kind of stuck together and reptiles as well. And, and when we get to the level of mammal, mammal uh, here, Boring, vibrations at a very low frequency and essentially those are noises that are danger signals like a, like a heavy animal running at you would send vibrations through the ground that you would pick up through your ear but an undifferentiated bony ear uh, versus mammals that can communicate with higher frequencies than what reptiles can hear which is incredibly useful because we're essentially speaking to each other in a language that's outside the spectrum of what a fish or a reptile's ear would be able to detect. So like dolphins and whales use those high frequency noises that are essentially undetectable to sharks and, and other, other uh, fish. And uh, it's, so it's a huge advantage that we have over them. Like it's, it's like a dog whistle for a human. Like we have no idea that that noise is happening, but a dog's ear uh, has the ability to tense with temper timpani to a greater degree than, than what ours can. Uh, but it's, it's pretty amazing the links between that and, and, you know, a lot of it goes back to early, uh, early care. You know, it's like, it's the environment that took place in the womb. It's the environment that takes place during the early life of the child. You know, it's like, even with rat pups, they have all these studies that show like when the, when they take them away from the mother and the mother doesn't lick them as many times, like they have more antisocial behavior. And when rat pups are licked to a greater degree and have more physical contact with the mother, they have, you know, much better muscle tone, much better social behavior, longer lifespan, the whole deal. Uh, so same thing, like, like infants need a sensory rich experience where they're generally having a lot of physical contact with the mother and eye to eye contact with the mother, verbal contact. Uh, when, you know, Seth Obers played this incredible video of, uh, of this flat-faced experiment where you have a, an infant with the mother and they're in a room and the mother's doing, you know, the infant will mirror the mother's face. They'll, you know, smile to try to trigger the mother to smile. And then the mother should smile and they should laugh and they should play and engage with each other. But um, they, in the experiment, the, the mother went from normal uh, smiling and that thing. And then she purposefully created a flat face. And, uh, and you could literally see the infant behaviorally going backwards through this evolutionary timeline where the, you could, they quickly become distressed and they start crying and screaming and reaching out. They're using a sympathetic uh, tone or a sympathetic uh, drive to try to get the mother's attention. And then in almost no time, you can see this infant just give up. Like they're so dejected and confused uh, by the mother keeping a flat face. And it literally is maybe 90 seconds. And, um, and then the infant withdraws and it goes into an isolation mode. Um, it, 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 was, it was like heartbreaking to watch, but incredible at the same time to see how quickly that can happen. But it's almost like if the world 
and the sensory experience of the world is, is rejecting you, then you're going to reject the world and you're going to try to shut out the world from a, from a sensory experience. Um, now, what we're all interested in is, does this ever apply to athletes? And, and I mean, like at a certain point, you're an adult, you should be able to have the ability to have options. Like if, if nobody wants to pay attention to you, okay, that's just what it is right now. It's no big deal. But certain individuals can be more fragile from that perspective, uh, depending upon their upbringing. They might be physically incredible individuals, but psychologically, uh, you know, they can't handle that sort of like lack of attention, lack of, lack of feedback. And, uh, and we probably just have to be more aware of that and not think that these, these individuals are bulletproof. There's so much to unpack there because, as usual, when we have a discussion, uh, I link a lot of dots in my head as you talk. And I had Patrick McKeown on the OPEX podcast. Now, it hasn't been published yet, but Patrick wrote that book, The Oxygen Advantage. Mm. So he has a lot of work done around breeding and, you know, mechanics of breeding and, you know, nasal versus mouth breeding. And as you were talking there about, like, the uh, autism spectrum, and like the development there of the year and the jaw. And as, as I said to you there before online, I kind of wanted you to touch on uh, mastication and the development of the jaw. But he makes a good point is that when you see kids or like, this is like a lot of like people who, who don't have any specific diagnosis of a disorder, just like, you know, I'll, I'll use the word normal if you like, but uh, he was like, um, but particularly with, with, with individuals who have a disorder like um, autism, he says, what's one thing I always notice about their face? And he's like, they're all, their mouth is always open. They always breathe in their mouth. And then he also says, you ever look at like movies where they always played the village idiot. It's always someone with the, with the mouth open. And as you were talking there about like how the jaw impacts too, they're on, on ear development and then, you know, autism, you know, obviously there, there is uh, something to do with like, you know, being hypersensitive to sensory information, as you said there, like with, 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 with auditory, auditory input. So this, that just linked to my mind there, this idea of chronic mouth breathing, the, the jaw being opened with this sort of maldevelopment or whatever it is, maladaptation or maldevelopment of, you know, the fucking auditory processes in the ear. Um, but also too... Well, pa- if, if you want to go really wild, Robbie, yeah. you know, I think that everything can relate back to the cell, you know, I think the cell yeah, is, yeah, is, yeah. is always the show. And this is um, like Dr. Brian Walsh. He's all, he always brings it right back to the cell. I, I can't wait to hear him at some point. Oh, have you I've never, heard, I, I said in, I said it on two, two, sorry to cut into there. Sorry. I'm trying to, oh, no problem. I, I said it on two, two day seminars with him and they're phenomenal, but you know what it is, Pat? It's literally because he has read the textbooks. He's taught the physics. Like he just knows good science. And yeah. it's nothing, it's, it's just he teaches it well and he understands it well. And you're just like, because people always go to him and say, oh, like what resource should I get? He goes, just a physiology book, just read it and learn it and study mm-hmm. it. Like he's just really good at, at bringing it down. Sorry, there's one thing I just wanted to say there too to you. Um, yeah. Because I made a note of it too. Uh, just going back to the milk breeding and, and jaw development and, and the um, sensory system. So I know we mainly spoke about here and there, but this is just on my mind. What's also been on my mind too is this concept of information and like information processing. So, um one thing is like seasonality pat right so just thinking about like our modern environment the other way we, we've like we've spoken about fucking blue light and we've spoken about ems and we've spoken about like heated homes and so basically we're in perpetual summer we have lighted homes uh central heating systems and we mm. also have global transports so of food that don't even grow in our locality like so we're basically in perpetual summer you know um and then it got me thinking about like 
input to the system is like also about information. So like when you do like expose your body to like light in the winter, like what wrong information is that giving you? When you do expose yourself to like summer temperatures in the winter, what wrong information is that giving our our genetics? And then same too with food, like what wrong information is that giving us? And then when it, when I start thinking about food too and jaw developments, because from talking to Pat, uh, or Patrick McCown, I was like, because he started talking about like, you know, the way uh, so many people nowadays have very narrowed the issues with their, and you know this, Suze, you had surgery, mm-hmm. like the, their nasal structure is, un, it was too narrow and their jaws are too narrow and they got crowded teeth and then braces became a thing. And it's funny, he kind of made a joke on the podcast. He said that, uh, he goes, dentists came up with this thing that they, they came up with two conclusions about crowded teeth. One, the teeth got too big. And they're like, when you hear that, you're like, when, when you hear that, you're like, that's yeah. ridiculous. Like, that's yep. a, but that's actually what dentists taught. And he says, and then what he says, they start pulling people's teeth out. And he's like, then the other conclusion was our, our arches got too narrow. And he's like, that made sense. Our teeth didn't get fucking bigger, you idiots. Um, but it's just, sorry, the, the, I'm going to wrap this up now. Is that, see the, the, the fact, I want you to get your thoughts on this. So basically, I'm thinking about like environmental mismatches, you know, with like blue light, yep. heat. And, totally. and 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 food and food that's out of, not only in a season but it's actually coming from other parts of the world that wouldn't even grow in our locality right i've i've had those thoughts i've i've that's not new to me but what came new to me then pat was see the fact that we do eat foods not from our locality probably out of season and then i start thinking about like should we is our body designed to be eating certain foods to get certain information like for instance i start thinking about like I eat a lot of soft foods and I'm like, am, am I missing out? Did I miss out like on jaw development when I was younger by not eating foods that my body was required to eat in my, you know what I mean? Like that, the mastication of my yeah. muscles and my, my genage, like Irish people, we would have ate like a lot of fish and steak and it wouldn't have been like, and then, you know, the way, the way we can cook nowadays, we can, so basically I'm like, did I like, did I miss, like, did I not get the physical development in around my face and my jaw structure because I was eating foods, you know, that just, they're, they're foreign to the genome line that had came hundreds of years before. And now that's why I have like fucked up noses and narrow, and I have no chin. And do you know, what I, mean? I, I look like a normal person. Cause when you, when you go back and look at yeah. his, uh, Weston Price's book, and I remember reading that book for the first time and I knew nothing about like dentistry. And when, when he was saying like, these are healthy like you know dental structures and faces like to me they look it looks so odd i was like geez their faces are so wide and then like mm-hmm. as i read the book i was like oh that's actually how we're meant to look we're actually meant to have these good strong jaw structures but i'm so used to looking at people in the modern world nowadays and me with these narrow fucking dental arches and crowded teeth and narrow nases and constant mouth breathing that that to me is what's normal but it's not and so then, sorry, my, my whole question is, right, season, there's no seasonality in our lives anymore. Um, like the, the, the blue light, the heat, and ho- the heat of homes, and the global transport of food, I, I had already thought about that before. But what came new to me from talking to Pat was like, Jesus, like, like I eat like this, I'm probably like most people, I eat the same foods. I eat a lot of soft foods. I eat like a lot of yogurt and fruit, and I eat like a lot of pureed mashed potatoes. And I'm like, I never really chew food like. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking like, did like is that detrimental like you know or was it more detrimental when i was younger that i didn't get that because i i didn't get good jaw development because i know from my, my dental structure but interesting to hear your thoughts i want your thoughts on mastication because i know you looked into it and just like just jaw development and like where that fits in this whole like just humans us being humans and that type of stuff 
so easy answer to that question, which I'll, I'll take care of quickly. And then I'll, I'll bounce back to where you sent my brain with the, um, we're talking about things from the perspective of the cell, which I think will tie a lot of things together. Yeah. yeah. But um, <clears throat> yeah, easy answer to that. Uh, the growth of your jaw uh, is completely and 100% dependent upon using your jaw and, ex and, and, and straining against stress. Yeah. So, <clears throat> and also for teeth to come in straight is 100% dependent upon chewing and chewing against things that require force it's just like it's like any other any other um any other part of your body like yeah, you stress. wouldn't expect someone's someone's legs to develop as fully as they could if they were a kid that sat on their ass all day and never got outside and ran and jumped and played so you know we as a species uh we evolved from from animals that had to like you look back at like last common ancestor with chimps and and those animals lived in the rainforest of Africa, and they ate fruit primarily as their diet. But it's not like modern fruit. You know what I mean? Like we get this all mixed up because we have grown, we have farmed for thousands of years now, and the fruit that we eat at the grocery store is really easy to unpeel. It's very easy to chew. Like we're talking about old school stuff as being like you have to go through these hard husks and like chew for hours and hours and hours to get a little bit of nutrition from it um and and at a certain point during the the ice age the african rainforest dried up to a great degree and the animals that ended up becoming human ventured away from the rainforest whereas the animals that stayed as chimps stayed in the rainforest uh and occupied this fruit eating niche but the humans went out into the savanna and we walked around for a long distance um, and that kind of stress ultimately changed the shape of our pelvis, changed the shape of our feet, changed the shape of our toes. Uh, and we had to dig up USOs, like, um, you know, primitive versions of yams and sweet potatoes, which again were hard and we, we would mash them up as best we could. Uh, and, but we still have to chew quite a bit and yeah. we'd hunt animals and you'd have to chew that meat. I mean, you're not talking about some cow that's been standing around in a little pen that's, you know, softer than puppy shit. Yeah. Like, you're talking about a, a wild animal that has muscular development and, you know, tough fascia and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's a different animal. So, mm. so, yeah, the only way and, – and so if you look at primitive skulls and primitive dentistry, uh, you can clearly see that, that none of those, you know, hunter-gatherers or early farmers – they all had perfectly straight teeth. They not, none of them had crooked teeth uh, because of the repetitions of chewing. Yeah. For, it like actually teaches you how to make your teeth come in straight. The number of contacts. When you lack that amount of stress, the development is, is inappropriate. Mm -hmm. you know, it would be like having you know, mismatched femurs and tibias because you didn't walk or run enough as a kid. Um, and, and uh, they also had more teeth than we currently do. Uh, so it's not, a, it's not a question of the size of the teeth shrinking. Their jaws grew so much that they actually had more teeth in their jaws than, than Western humans do now. Yeah. And if we get culture still live in this way, they have the same number of teeth as, as you know, humans that lived 20,000 years ago, which is more uh, so it's, it, it is a mismatch between what was appropriate 
and what our genome expects and what we actually deliver to it. Mm. Uh, now, the other, the other thing to really consider here that I think ties everything together, and <clears throat> we talked about kind of like, um, you know, aut autism being sort of this hypersensitivity to stimuli coming in mm -hmm. and, um, and mouth breathing being kind of like excessive amounts of air coming in through a channel that maybe should be more selective. If you think about a cell and, and like, uh, you know, information coming into a cell, like what does it have to go through? Uh, it has to go through the membrane of the cell. Mm -hmm. and, and what's the term that we typically think of in terms of, of, the, of the, like what the membrane should be doing? It should be a semi-permeable membrane. Selective, so, yeah. you know, selective selective information coming in and and it chooses what information comes in and a healthy cell should have this phospholipid bilayer that that is intertwined with these these receptor proteins mm -hmm. and the receptor proteins should be healthy and and bind to selective uh you know substrate in the in the extracellular environment and when that happens the right internal messages happen inside the cell that lead to proper protein synthesis for better interaction with the environment. And, and that's sort of like how a cell should work and it should proliferate and make more of itself that, that are similar to itself. Uh, and, and when a cell is inundated with excessive amounts or constant uh, substrate that maybe shouldn't be there at that level, think diabetes with, with blood glucose, um, you know, it's now it's going to become this dysfunctional cell that all of a sudden lacks this ability to be semi-permeable or selective. So same thing in terms of like an inner ear that lacks the ability to tense and to open and close appropriately for the specific circumstances mm -hmm. that it finds itself in. Everything comes flooding in and I can't tell the difference between anything. It's all the same. And, uh, and it's an assault. And the same thing when it comes to breathing, like the mouth should be able to seal at the lips and the tongue should form a seal at the roof. And if that's the case, it's a selective circumstance of what's coming in and what's not being allowed in. If I choose to eat, I can have information coming into the system through a receptor called a mouth. And if I'm exercising, I can choose to be moving more air through that area, but at rest, I should be able to seal that and only breathe through the nose. Uh, and, and having the proper shape of the receptor, like a lock and key mechanism, is the absolute critical component to all of this. And the shape of the receptor will be driven by chewing and having the appropriate amount of stimuli that's coming in from the, from the perspective of stress. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, only the strongest oak trees, like the, they only grow in circumstances where they were stressed by the environment. If it's an environment that provides no stress, why would the tree grow to be strong and robust? It doesn't need to. Uh, so it's, it's always just the case. But if the environment is too stressful, uh, all of a sudden, all at once, it'll snap. So it's, again, it's like graded exposure, uh, appropriate amount of stress. If you don't stress something like all of the hidden gems that are inside of the genome that could present themselves as phenotypes, they don't get a chance to blossom. And, uh, mm. and we're finding 
we can kind of reverse figure this out in terms of like all the way that we're fucked up. It's like, well, man, like our jaws are shit. Our, our structure of our nose and our sinuses is shit. Mm -hmm. Why is that the case? Well, if we look back at the behaviors that we used to have to participate in, because we had to, uh, you know, we can see like, oh man, we're missing these critical ingredients. And again, they all circle back around to stress. You know, if you tried to chew through what your, you know, 25 time great grandfather had to chew through, it might break your teeth at this point. Uh, you know, you might break your jaw, but you'd have to build yourself up to it. And unfortunately, there are critical periods of development that allow for some of this expression to happen. So as like a, you know, 30 plus, 40 plus year old man, it's kind of like, well, it's probably too late. You know, it's, it's like you probably need a dentist to reverse engineer you and physically build you out into the shape that you should have been in in the first place. But if you, if you were able to have a time machine and send yourself back to being four years old, uh, I think like there's some really easy solutions to this stuff. Like I know resin gum uh, is, is often suggested for this stuff. And uh, I don't know, I've never looked into it actually purchasing it, but I'm sure Amazon has it, but, um, it's just like, it's just harder, more robust gum that's recommended by airway management dentists for the development of the jaws. And, uh, you know, kids are willing to chew it. Usually I don't think it tastes as good as bubblicious, but you know, if you get your kid used to chewing hard, tough gum, They'll, it'll probably foster the appropriate development of their of their jaw structure. Yeah, because all this just like I mean, as you're speaking there, like one part of me is kind of like, well, duh, as in like obviously, like if you want to, you know, exercise the muscles of your jaw, you're gonna have to provide a stress to it, like no different than any other area of your body. But it just it just I suppose has made me realize that like it's an area that. I, well, definitely I have. I'm not too sure about people listening to this. But I, I, I'm, I'm making an assumption that most people like me just have never really thought about it, you know? And then like, how detrimental is it not to challenge these, you know, muscles and structures in around your face? I mean, you know, like, because yeah. so, so much sensory input, like, you know, so like, for instance, I'm also thinking like, like my shitty jaw development and my shitty nasal development, Ben House will be given out now because I, I sound so pessimistic, you know, I'm still going to, I'm still going to fucking be a savage and rule life, Ben, don't worry. Because uh, I fully agree with that mindset too of, of Ben. He's like, so yeah. what, we just fucking, we're going to give up. I'm like, no, we're going to fucking still have a fucking killer ass life. But yeah, I still want to just, it's, it's good to like, I get stimulated by these conversations and thoughts, but yeah. just like, uh, you know, right. Say like, m m like my jaw didn't develop as best as it could be. And then obviously nasal breathing. And then like, I was thinking of things of even like, you know, like how does, you know, how does the mandible impact then on the maxilla, which impacts the nasal, which then impacts on sphenoid and sphenoid is the keystone of all the fucking cranial bones. And then you have, you know, your eyes, you know, like your eyes being so basically it's just like you know your structure of your face your facial and cranial bones isn't as awesome as could be and then you've got so much sensory information like there in terms of vision and hearing and taste and smell and all that that you know you you're not as optimal as you could have been from a sensory standpoint that's just kind of where i'm, yep. where I'm getting at um, yep. and maybe, as, maybe maybe as a result of that like you know the the end game the end result is what i'm always interested in that's kind of like, you know, again, polyvagal theory, you get into all these cranial nerves and like what motor actions are they associated with as well. And it's kind of like, 
neck cervical rotation and cervical side bending mm. is um is the big ones and it's kind of like well maybe your golf swing sucks because you know your head can't stay on the ball because as you try to rotate back into your backswing you don't have the cervical rotation so your head and neck get dragged along for the swing and now you have to compensate through uh moving your eyes to the side so that you can still see the ball when you did know, you see me playing golf i have not but uh you know <laughs> i can I can picture it. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty ugly. I won't lie. Uh, Kamir, I know you have to. You gotta hop off soon. Um, just one or two other little ones there, and then because I don't, yeah, wanna, I don't want to keep you from your from your wife. Because listen, family's important, man. Which more important than this? Because we can we can wrap any day. But uh, your body weight goal. You said at Christmas you were you were you were, were you gonna lean down, or did you just say fuck it? I'm still gonna yeah. be a monster. Well, my my goal is um at a certain point you know you just get too fat uh but it's been a it's been like i've I've kind of been enjoying like you know all i really do is i I try to find numbers that i find interesting and i try to chase them mm. and um and i don't really i don't care too much about the aesthetics and um and i'd be lying if i didn't say if i said i didn't care what i looked like but i'm not as driven by by that i, I would say as some people are i'm much more driven by like numerical outcomes so I was, you know, if, if the numbers for the big lifts that I like to focus on are going up, I'm going to continue to pursue that with whatever's working for it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it, I mean, not surprisingly, like, uh, you know, as you get larger, you're going to move more weight with movements like the squat, the bench and the, and the deadlift. But, uh, you know, it, like there's like Ben will host these events and we'll have all these lifting contests and stuff like that and wheeler he, ranch he's yeah like yeah we had the texas one wheeler ranch and uh it's down know, for 2000 the, it's down for 2019 this year as well i, I take it you're going to uh yeah most likely i haven't even taken a look at that it's in but, november, um, it's in november again so it's a good bit away oh, okay that's probably a good good time period to shoot at but usually he divides things into different weight classes and um you know i've i've been in the the super heavyweight division with all of these things and uh and what's interesting is like you know, it'll be some other guys that are in the lighter weight classes. Like there's, you know, he'll usually have a 170, a 190, a 210, and then over 210. And uh, I've been getting sick of seeing these little guys in the 190s uh, feel really good about themselves for winning their weight classes while still moving really non-respectable amounts of weight. And, um, and I'm like, we need some legitimately good competitors in that class and uh, so it's literally like what motivated me to start this process was to absolutely come in and show up some other guys just from a pure shit talking perspective mm. against my friends that I like to have these little, little competitions with. <laughs> That's been enough of a motivator for me to start to focus on food. Um, and so like my goal is to eventually get down to 190. Like I don't have a specific timeline on it. But like my hope is that I can I can drop and get to that that level of weight uh, without losing the strength that I have at like two two thirty, which is like a really ambitious goal. But my hope is that if I do it really really slowly and intelligently, that I could come close to actually pulling that off because I've got plenty of fat to lose. Um, so so that's what my hope is, and um, like the, the I think. It would, it would not be as hard for me to just simply diet and get to 190. You know what I mean? 
But if I did it fast, I would probably lose a significant amount of strength. I yeah, uh, uh, I think between now and November you could do that. But by, by the way, you would be fucking jacked. You must have somehow the muscle built up though at the same time. But you weren't you one seventy five when you could beat as a powerlifter or as a strongman? Um, yeah. So uh, fucking one ninety, it would be very realistic. I think it could be, and I think I would if I do it right. I think I could get to one ninety and be substantially stronger than I ever was competing in strongman at one seventy five, because obviously at two hundred and thirty pounds, I got a lot stronger than I was at 175 pounds. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's kind of my goal, is I want to be able to sneak down into these weight classes with some of my other friends who haven't had a solid ass whooping put on them yet, and to just absolutely drop a strong backhand across all of their faces simultaneously. It reminds me of the time we were having a conversation on one of our podcasts. And I, I always loved, I'm paraphrasing now what you said. I don't know exactly word for what you said, but you basically just said, I just do things out of spite. Like you were trying to say yep. spite motivates it just to be a fucking bollocks. Just, just to be able to turn around someone and say, fuck you. I did what you said I couldn't do, you prick. That's 100% it. Like there's very few motivators that I actually have in life. I love it. One of yeah, the I would say my main one is like, oh, you think that's something? Well, I don't think that's much of anything to tell you the truth. And I'm going to go well out of my way to try to do exactly what you just did that you got a lot of credit for, but to absolutely blow it up to a degree like that that shouldn't even be you know allowed. That's hilarious. Uh, so yeah, it's like I don't know that that probably just means I'm an asshole. But it's been like it, it's, I feel like I'm I'm honest about it. You know what I mean? Like, like well, I think that some people like I, everybody feels that probably to a certain extent. To an extent yeah, yeah, I'm just open about it. Like absolutely 100. percent I love in particular to show up my friends. You know, it's like that's what I live off of, and I like other people that kind of do the same thing. That can just give me a ton of shit, and like. You know, they've been secretly plotting this thing to get me for a long time. And then out of seemingly nowhere, it just gets dropped on me. And I'm like, oh, you son of a bitch. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a question, actually, that I, I wrestle with slightly because, like, I used to kind of have this thought process that if you're doing something out of spite and not really doing it for yourself, it's probably not a good thing. But then I'm like, if it's leading to something like being cre- created that is actually um like it's 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 a, it's leading to like an advancement it's mm-hmm. a good thing and then like if you think about like you know i was actually reading in, i'm reading harari's book there 21 21 that's 21st century oh and, so and, good and he made a good point and he goes he goes as shit as wars are he says they're unbelievable to enhance uh, the humanity like really quickly he's like look at the mm-hmm. technology that got advanced in world war one and then look at it in world war two he's like it just boomed because it just it was a necessity it had to happen so you know yeah. and that's that's basically like like good thing coming from spike because the americans are like fuck that we're not losing better fucking get the fucking finger out here and you know what i mean and then the germans yeah so like in in yeah. one way you can see it's it's the competition kind of breeds you know creativity to a certain degree and, and breeds in enhancement it 100 percent does and um you know i think the same thing in terms of language you know i think um you know sapiens talks about it where like it seems as though language primarily developed so that we could gossip about each other yeah yeah you know, and it's like, 
it's it's literally like you know this statement of like if you don't have anything nice to say you better not say it at all or something like that and it's like well that actually seems to be contrary to the primary reason why we developed anything to say in the first place yeah like big time we're all trying to like it like where we stand in the hierarchy the social hierarchy of other humans is probably the primary thing that our brain is trying to detect at all times you know and it's just that like nobody wants to admit that like you always hear these statements that sound good on paper like you know don't judge other people uh you know those who judge don't matter and those who matter don't judge and it's like i'm calling bullshit on that like we're always trying to decipher who am I better than and who's better than me? And well, how can I kind of move up in that ladder? Uh, you know what I mean? As, it's, Kamir, it's like, as you know, as you know, like to say you're not, you don't judge people is actually, it's impossible because it, it happens subconsciously. Like just yeah. protests going on subconscious. Like, I mean, that's fairly well established in the literature. Like, you know, with amygdala and fucking the insula and the anterior cingulate gyrus and, and fucking mm-hmm. what else? Uh, the, the different divisions of the prefrontal cortex, you know, ventral medial versus dorsal lateral. Well, it'll be ventral medial that far, dorsal lateral will overlook. But like, the thing is that, like, those those processes may happen, but you can you can train yourself to overrule those initial, uh, like. Uh, those initial like activities in your brain that's 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 the thing because you read literature and they'll say you know like the fucking uh implicit association tests you know, i only noticed because I'm, I'm writing about it lately because i'm gonna mm-hmm. post this book twice but uh you know the Im- implicit association test where like they'll take someone white and they'll flash up a black face and they'll do and vice yep. versa and their amygdala fires you know what i mean and they say oh when, when the white person sees the black face the amygdala fires you know hence we think we think like that there's a fear response because the black person's an outer group it's an interracial thing and um, yep. but if you get if you leave the person alone for like the next uh, like just a few more seconds it's then the prefrontal cortex fires goes, oh, it's, it's only a, it's only a black guy it's not a big deal but like the yep. fact that the amygdala fires like oh it's a racist thing and like there's other research saying like come here you can actually train the, the prefrontal cortex overrules straight away if, if you just like train it. Like, you know what I mean? So like if you took a group, yeah. if you took a group of people who work around black people all the time, their brains don't respond the same way. Like it's only when you take people who, uh, who uh, mainly actually have a racial bias to begin with or else were primed to have a racial bias before the scan that the, mm-hmm. that, that the pattern uh, sees. But sorry, I'm ranting there. The whole, my whole point is that when you say, cause I was one of these people, I don't judge people. I always try and understand. And like, I am a person who always asks why I'm trying to understand, but, I'm sorry to say to people who think that like they're above everyone else and don't judge you do because it happens subconsciously. You're not even aware of it. Yeah. Like that's the primary thing your brain's doing. It's trying to differentiate safety. safety. Yeah. Like that's the, that's what it does. So it's, it's just like, it's just like, you know, I, I really enjoyed uh, Robert Greene's book. Uh, oh, no, what uh, laws of human nature. And um, yeah, I, I, I thought you were going to say, I thought like, you were going to say seduction. Oh, uh, no, I haven't read that one. It's my first exposure to Robert Greene. Oh, um, Master, Mastery's Unreal Path. It's one of my favorite books. Oh, uh, well, I'm looking forward to that then. Uh, it's phenomenal. But, you know, it, it, it was like he had a chapter in this one that was on shadow personalities. I just found it so fascinating. Like, we all have a shadow personality. Uh, and, and, like, he uses a famous person as his example to illustrate this thing to help kind of bring it together. And his... His shadow, his, his example for shadow personalities was Richard Nixon, the U.S. president, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and that. Uh, so it's kind of like as a young kid, there are components of your personality that society finds to be kind of shitty. And 
And like you quickly realize these things as you go, you see other people's facial reactions. You don't get a positive response from it. You get a negative response from it. And you learn like, oh, this part of me, not so great. Um, and what we do is we overcompensate and we actually create an outer image that's the opposite of, of these tendencies and behavioral characteristics that we learn to suppress strongly. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, I, I become this hyper altruistic person because it, my shadow personality, which still exists and is, is something that I prevent from coming out into the world, like there was some really strong selfish tendencies in me as a young kid. And, um, and, and so it's almost like whatever the person presents to you as their outwardly facing front, they have a strong shadow that is the exact opposite. That is a part of them, a strong part of them that's, that's kept uh, under wraps strongly. And, but what's interesting is you can see the shadow emerge under experiences of stress. Mm. You know, it's kind of like, boom, here it comes. Or if you look at some of the patterns of that person's life, you can see where it is cropped out. And, uh, and essentially what Robert Greene is kind of saying in it is, is that if you never get to know your own shadow, you will be someone that represses their life and like has constant problems with their shadow popping out at inappropriate times throughout your life. Yeah. And, and what you need to do is, is come to grips with getting to know your shadow and integrating your shadow with your personality. Uh, so that because we all have them but when you learn to to bring it out at the right time you can you can sort of use it like you defend yourself you're more of your authentic self you're more honest with the world and um and i, I just think like I, you know i think i was good at that anyways i don't think i've ever tried to deny uh components of myself that that i even find reprehensible to some degree uh but you know they're 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 like part of what make me me and um and, and to just acknowledge it and be open about it, it's, it's another level of mindfulness, I would just say. Like, you know, oh, I've noticed this about myself. I don't necessarily like it, but there's a part of me that, that is associated with it. But what, what could possibly be useful about this part of me? And, um, and I just think that's really big. Uh, and I just, you know, sort of like you've, you've kind of alluded to this before with, with a lot of, um, you know, the reading that you've done with, with kind of, um, I think it's Alan Watts. No, I just, about, I had just written that because I was going to mention yeah, that. Keep going. You know, the only way that you can know something is to know its opposite. Exactly. And, and just that nature seems to be this, it's constantly seems to come up in nature, like in, in different cultures too, you know, a yin and a yang and, and how, or, or like an alpha and a beta, uh, left-handed and right-handed. There's, there's always like kind of two sides that are a little bit different from each other or, or opposite in some ways, but they have to work together to be able to really let everything flourish and, 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 and become excellent or outstanding or whatever the hell it is that we want to talk about it. And, and as humans, we're always, we seem to be these torn beings. And, you know, the Greeks talked about this quite a bit with, uh, you know, they had dualism as a, as a strong concept. They, they believed that at one point humans were, were dual beings and, and most of us were, were kind of like a half a male, half a female. Uh, and that at some point the gods felt as though we were becoming too powerful. So they split us. And, and that in many ways we're 
in our lives looking for our quote unquote soulmates who used to be our, the other half of ourselves. And, uh, you know, we have all these sayings, like you find the, your soulmate and they complete you as a person and, and all this kind of stuff. But we're, we're always alternating back and forth in our lives between, between these sorts of states of completeness and, and emptiness and, and feeling content and then feeling like, you know, antsy. Uh, but, but it's kind of like, it seems to be an outcropping in many ways of just the overall essence of the way that nature works, where you have to have an opposite to truly appreciate or understand or to have the other side. And, and I just find it to be, um, you know, something that just recurs and, and brings itself back all the time. 100% agree, man. 100% agree. And I'm just, uh, I actually never heard Jordan Peterson say this, but a friend of mine, Danny Lennon, said that Jordan Peterson, Jordan Peterson said something along these lines, again, I'm paraphrasing, that to know your ultimate goodness, you need to know your ultimate badness as well. Like, you need to know how shitty you can get before you know how great you can get. And it just goes back yeah. to that whole Adam Watts concept of, like, the universe just works through, through contrast. Again, you wouldn't know left without right, hot without cold up without down, good without evil. It's, it's all a necessary part of the journey. Because in the lecture, Watts gives, he's like, he's like people are, are on a fruitless, uh, like they're, they're on a fruitless endeavor of trying to make everything good. And, he's, and I love the, mm. the analogy. He, the analogy he says is, trying to make everything good in your life is trying to poke the tip of your finger with the same finger. It, it, cannot, be <laughs> done. it cannot be done. And he's just, his whole thing is like, you need uh, sinners so you know saints. You know, you know what I mean? like, it's funny when people always give out about crime and all that. It's like, if you eradicated all crime, think about all the jobs cops would lose. Mm. Do, do you, know what I mean? you know what I mean? So it's just like, again, you've no sinners, you've, you know, you'd have no saints. You've no daytime, you wouldn't know, you, or you wouldn't know daytime without nighttime. You know, it's all just when Watts, when I heard Watts say that, I was like, oh my God, it's just all part of the journey. It's like, and then his whole thing's like, so just enjoy the ride. It's, it's all meant to be. So yeah, I really enjoy. Well, one thing I just want to say real quick, it's just a digression back to our, our conversation with the jaw, just for the listeners. And, and, and uh, you, you know this as good as I do, just about Bill Hartman. He got a lot of great dental work done. And just for the listeners, Bill got work done where he, his, his jaw bone has actually grown forward and, and out laterally as well. Like his jaw has, he's, he's more space now in his jaw. And it's, a, it's apparently it's more common and more it's more common dental practice now than the old one would have been just again to pull teeth because teeth just got bigger fucking idiots. When I heard that, I was like, Oh my God, I can't, <laughs> I can't believe like they bought that, you know? Oh, just the teeth started getting bigger. All of a sudden there's like, really? They're like, yeah. Anyway. How? Why? Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. This is our jaws fucking got smaller. But um, at some point I feel like we're going to have to hop back on one of these and make it like a, like just talk about the intensive. You know, I, like, oh god, so good. It's just like, God, that that has completely reframed my understanding of of life, everything with life. human movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really, really good. Come here, I I let uh, let you with the final word. Um, just tell me what are you reading at the moment, and then anything you want to let the listeners off with, and any update on mastery. Well, you know, I've actually um, I'm I'm currently working on writing the book for rethinking the big patterns. Oh, um, very good. Yeah, very very good. You know, I I uh, I'm starting the the seminar series for rethinking the big patterns too. Too, yeah. In in June, um, I've are got a, you, I've got some taping, dates you, booked out. Are you taping that as well? I'm I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not okay. gonna I'm not gonna video any of the live ones for for a very specific reason. You know, I want to be able to video 
at at a hype where I work primarily okay um, over the course of without an audience so that I can just have this to be very standardized right. because when you get into a seminar like I know. you can get derailed you can get off topic or like you don't get to actually cover everything that you want to cover yeah. and yeah. and also typically when I'm trying to do demos of exercises I get someone that maybe has never worked with me before or doesn't really know how to nail these things to a really high degree. <laughs> so if I'm able to do this at hype and we're going to just do this over the course of like probably eight weekends or something like that. And I can cover exactly the video, how I want to do it with the equipment that I work on with other guys like, like Vinny and Ethan and, and Luke and, uh, and Seth and, and other guys that I work with on a, day in and day out basis who can nail these exercises and show you exactly what they're supposed to look like uh you know that to me is a much better product uh and we're going to use some really nice camera equipment so it doesn't look like all these videos of seminars that kind of look a little bit like shit and go all over the place uh so i'm going to we're going to have that i want that to be able to accompany the book at some point when that's all finished, but you know, just a better product overall. Um, and I also, I feel like if I, when I made the video off of rethinking the big patterns one, and it was the very first time I presented that thing, um, it, it really prevented, I think a lot of people just watched it and then they didn't go to live events. Yeah. And, yeah. and I want to make sure that the live events continue to do well, uh, and have good solid attendance numbers. So I'm going to have a, I'll have a video version of this at some point in the future and it's going to be a good one and it'll be able to accompany a book that I think will be able to, I'm a book guy rather than an in-person guy to a much greater degree. Uh, It'll have everything laid out visually for people to be able to follow as a constant reference to go back to. And it'll all probably get linked to the exact exercises that will be on video. Um, and, and I'm working on trying to create an app that would go with it too, where, uh, you know, it would be able to help you design programs from this. It's just going to be a much more well-established mm-hmm. product. Sounds pretty um, So mass three, it'll happen at some point in the future, but rethink the big patterns is, is much more where my heart's at right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. And it's a, a product that I think can, can really be a, a, a revolutionary type product in our industry. Um, so, so that's kind of where I'm at with that. And, uh, I'm currently reading a book called come as you are, which is, uh, one that, that Ben had recommended a while back. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Ben's, Ben's often talked about like, we as an industry need to particularly the males read more books written by females because, uh, you know, we'll, we'll tend to read the books written by like, by like hyper males in some ways. Like we all want to read extreme ownership and we all want to read. Uh, David Goggins, and we all want to read these books written from like the farthest degree of masculine perspective possible. And we probably have to take our take time to like dive into books written from the highest degree of female perspective possible, so that we can have an idea of the of the full spectrum of of human personalities and viewpoints. And uh, and I'm struggling with it to tell you the truth, because it's like uh, it's very much written from a a woman who is very feminine and uh, it's, it's like very much outside of the typical voice that I listen to from an author's perspective. 
So it's, uh, it's been a grind, but I'm going to get through it. And, uh, and on the other end, I'll probably get back into something I'm more comfortable with. But uh, that's, that's where I'm currently at. Yeah, I've heard him recommend that book before, uh, Emily Nagoski. Come as you yep. are, the surprising new science that will transform your sex life. Yeah, I've heard him recommend that before. Listen, that's, uh, that's how you savage now, so it is. So, Rethink the Big Part 2, your reading, Come as you are. Yeah, that's all I got for you today. Um, I definitely want to get you, next time we chat, must get you to talk about, you know, the neurotransmitter um, the neurotransmitter talk you've done with uh, Christian Thibodeau and Mike Isertel. Oh, yeah. On stronger yeah, I mean, we basically got to the point where it was like uh, uh, neurotyping is is bullshit, and uh, <laughs> that we we arrived there very quickly. But that it's a, a nice product that it's really easy for people to buy into conceptually, yeah. and uh, you know, <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 not a real thing. But uh, you know, if if you can utilize something that provides you with a better ability to coach people exactly exactly yeah then then run with it but if you think you're actually deciphering different neurotransmitter levels in humans like uh, yeah. absolutely 100 percent, no yeah that's that's currently where i am at with it too it's like uh if if you're telling me that this is a scientific fact you're full of fucking shit but if you're turning around and telling me listen I'm using this because I believe it's a tool in the toolbox that could potentially work really well with some clients. Uh, could I tell you exactly what's going on? No. Do I have some ideas that may give some explanation to mechanisms that may be working here that, again, could potentially help in the program design with certain clients and athletes? Yes, but I would not turn around to say that this is a fact or that there's any good science to back it up. Like If you were coming at it from that angle, I'd be like, all right, knock yourself out. And that's all I think myself and Mike were saying too. Yeah, perfect. Come here, go have brunch with your, with your wife. Uh, I'll say goodbye to you offline, so I'll just press stop here and then say a quick goodbye to you because, again, you're, we're 23 minutes over. Cause we oh, yeah. Um, all right, for all the listeners, as I've been saying on every show, you're spoiled rotten people, spoiled rotten with all these great guests that we have on. And as I said, this is Pat's probably my favorite human being to speak to on the podcast and just in general, to be honest. But uh, listen, Pat, thanks for making the time. I really do appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Robbie. It's a very mutual feeling. All right, just hang on again there and uh, I'll just wrap up here and say goodbye to the offline. So for the listeners, take care, be well, and stay strong. Mm-hmm.